Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you may be. I'm Nikki Acosta, your host of Cloud Unfiltered. I got my co-host Ballard hanging out. Hello. What I can only describe as the SeaWorld room of his home. <laughs> and, and we've got awesome three guests with us today. This is the first time we've had three guests, so I'm really, really excited. But I will go ahead and let Joel and Alicia and Nick introduce yourselves in that order. Welcome to the show. Great. Thanks for having us. Uh, my name is Joel Parks. Uh, I'm an account principal with Contino. Uh, we're a consultant uh, consultancy firm uh, based in London, UK, uh, but also have offices in New York and Atlanta. I, I'm Alicia Davis. I'm a consulting systems engineer, so essentially pre-sales at Round Tower Technologies. Uh, we're based in the East Coast and a little bit of Central, uh, headquartered out of Cincinnati. Hi, I'm Nicholas Wallace. Nick Wallace. I actually am a cloud platform specialist now for Dell EMC. Came to Dell by way of the EMC acquisition and merger. Um, I'm a cloud platform specialist aligned to the Enterprise South division. I am in pre-sales, so more of a specialty overlay. Awesome. And so we were going to film this last week, uh, but uh, because of a scheduling conflict on my end and because it was like the day before DevOps days, Nashville and you guys were slammed and gal were slammed. We decided to push it back a week. How was DevOps days? Tell us about, about how that went. Uh, it was fantastic. Um, we had, uh, such great uh, participation, not only uh, from the sponsor uh, community, uh, which really came out in force. Uh, we also had uh, phenomenal speakers. Uh, you know, I kept getting, and, and Nick and Alicia can keep me honest here, but I kept getting people coming up to me throughout the conference saying, this is fantastic. Where did you find this person? You know, the, the, the content was really speaking to the crowd uh, in some fundamental ways. So they, as we went further and further through the conference, the excitement level kept going up and up and up. So uh, you know, by the end of the second day, I think everybody was really jazzed. They were asking, so when is next year? When are we doing this again? It's like, we need a vacation. Give us like a week to think about that and we'll get back to you. Was this the first one you guys had done? This, it was number two. This is actually the second. Okay. Yeah, this is round two. We're definitely uh, in a building period, but uh, the, the enthusiasm level was great. Uh, Nick, Alicia, you guys can uh, add more color to that. Yeah, I think, you know, from organizer perspective, we focused on content, right? We focused on what are the talks that are going to be relevant to enterprise in Nashville? All three of us has worked in enterprise in Nashville. We have customers that are in Nashville. So understanding the the DevOps maturity within, within the, you know, the community, and aligning talks that that represent where different companies were, I think was like the biggest reason why we were very successful. Yeah, absolutely. So this was my second year of involvement too. Last year, I was not necessarily like the lead organizer. Um, I contributed as an individual contributor, but last year my responsibility was to bring in sponsorship money to the conference to actually make it happen. So. Uh, obviously, we had to show a lot of love to the sponsors because without them, you know, the, it wouldn't be possible for anybody to attend because it wouldn't be an event to attend, right? Um, but I think that we had great sponsorships, everybody from Dell EMC, Pivotal, Microsoft, Contino. Uh, we had a local partner and reseller in town, DataBlue. Um, we also had a lot of, like, sponsors that weren't necessarily selling anything, for example. Like, they weren't a vendor, but they're a local customer in town seeking top talent want to get their logo out there in front of the audience to show that you know they're an innovative forward-thinking company 
such as Change Healthcare, Eventbrite, CBS Sports, uh, all locally based here in Nashville. Multiple industry verticals here as well. It's not just Music City, um, not just uh, tourism and entertainment industries either. Uh, you know, there's also healthcare, automotive. A lot of people don't know that, that there's headquarters for financial banks institutions here. There's also like large insurance companies here. Um, so, you know, even though we think that the cloud and DevOps and a new way of doing things uh, might be something new, um, I think that the practices, the methods, and the tooling may um, still be the same regardless of what industry vertical you're in. So in the, in the context of, of Nashville, we we're, were talking about this a little bit during the, the pre-show, uh, but I, I think, Joel, was you who came from Texas originally? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a Texpat, I, but I've been in Nashville for about 20 years. <laughs> 20 years, and you said yeah. that Nashville is kind of like what Austin was like 10 years ago or in the 90s. Yeah, so I grew up in Central Texas, and so I was around when Austin was uh, a very small town, <laughs> uh, and I saw Austin through, uh, you know, the if, from the early days, you know, when things really began to change in the late '80s, all the way through sort of the uh, the rocket ride uh, into the late '90s, and you know, watching what's happening in Nashville today reminds me a lot of Austin circa 1990. Uh, you know, the number of companies that are relocating uh, their core corporate presence here, the level to which, you know, technology is really starting to develop as a as a core industry uh, within Nashville and the number of feeding or contributing industries that are supporting that growth, the number of startups, it all feels very familiar. And, and so I think uh, the Nashville Technology Council, which is one of our big partners with DevOps Days and also with a number of the different meetups, I think would probably agree with that, that we're right on the tipping point of something uh, huge about to happen in Nashville, and you can definitely feel it in the air. Yeah, I would also like to add to that, too, that we also have the Entrepreneurial Center in town, too, which um, is great incubator. They got, like, some great cohorts and accelerator programs, too. Um, I attended one called Bunker Labs. That's for veterans, and I'm a Marine. I'm a former Marine, too, and a veteran in the military. But uh, it, it's like they got these different – in cohorts inside the entrepreneurial center and the entrepreneurial center is also sponsored by Google too is one of the primary sponsors there, but it's really helping the startup startup ecosystem in Nashville too. Well, what is, what is driving the growth in Nashville? I think there's a number of things. I think, uh, on a, on a financial front, uh, Tennessee is still one of the few States without a state income tax. Uh, the cost of, uh, of living and doing business in Tennessee is relatively low. And if you look at Nashville specifically, Nashville is a bit of an oddity in uh, terms of the number of universities within the, the city limits of, of greater Nashville. Uh, there's in the double digits of, of universities in Nashville. Vanderbilt uh, it's what, has a school of business. Yeah, Vanderbilt, Belmont, Lipscomb, uh, uh, TSU. I mean, there's, there's many, many, and it's why Nashville became known as the Athens of the South historically. And so when you have that concentration of academic activity along with this level of business activity, you have all of the makings for like a pretty rich, you know, sort of forward thinking environment. And I think that's attractive along with the financial aspects to a lot of companies. I also think the geos too. So if you think about like New York and LA being like entertainment capitals too, and now Nashville's also considered one, but it's also in the middle of the country. And we don't have the same problem with like uh, paparazzis and stuff like that in those bigger cities. 
Says the guy who has uh, photos with a bunch of stars and celebrities. <laughs> Says the paparazzo. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, I think two of you, between the three of you, you all are responsible for the Kubernetes meetup, the DevOps Days event, and the DevOps meetup that happens in the Nashville area. What's happening with that uh, with the Kubernetes meetup? I'd be curious to see what's happening there, Alicia. Do you want to take so, that one? <laughs> so Joel and I decided to do that. I mean, we, we've known each other. We've worked at two different companies together. Um, <laughs> we started to do this last year, mainly because we were bored. Um, and to me, I, I see it as a way to foster the technical, you know, um, you know, open source mindset in, in the town, but honestly also for hiring, right? So the, the sharp guys, you know, we stay very technical in our meetups. So it's not just, um, you know, oh, here's this product. No, we actually, you know, give code out, you know, federated deployments, for example, Kubernetes is a, one of the newer features, you know, give, you know, our participants a way to do a hands-on learn from that. Um, and I find that uh, it's drawing a good crowd. It's small. We don't have any sponsors. So it's not like somebody's going to try to sell you anything. Um, but I feel like it's really good, you know, tech focused meetup that is not just um, you know, just Kubernetes. We talk OpenShift, we talk, you know, all of the distributions around that. So, so folks can get knowledgeable around, you know, being the next wave of, you know, the new OpenStack. What? And, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. You go ahead. Oh, no, I, you know, when we, when we started it, you know, my interest was, you know, I'd had around about the time that we were talking about starting it, I had had, I think maybe 10 different conversations independently in a row with people in town talking about, you know, Kubernetes, we got to learn more about what Kubernetes is. You know, it seems like there's a lot of, there's a lot of heat around this project. It seems like something we're all going to have to do, but nobody really had any exposure to it. And I thought, okay, there's our entry point. That's what we need to go after. And it, it turned out to be fairly appropriate because now it's, it seems to be taking over the world. Everybody uh, is adopting Kubernetes in some form or fashion. Um, you know, what's what's fantastic about the community that we started is we had folks show up on the first day and we talked about, you know, what your level of exposure to Kubernetes was. We actually found a company in town that's a relatively well-known company that was already making plans to go into production with it. And the open source version. Yeah, and had been building a team for the last six months to build out that runtime environment and to support it. And wow. it was a company that I would have never guessed. Like I would have lost that bet for sure. Can, can you tell us what industry roughly is in? Uh, public, publishing and media. Awesome. So, and, and, and so is that where you're you're hearing, I'll say most users coming from at this point is kind of just in that exploration stage with a few rare exceptions or are you starting to see any demand? I think that there's about 90% of everybody out there is doing a POC of some form, right? There's another 5% that have moved beyond POC into a non-production environment and another 5% that are either in production or about to go into production. That seems to be about the curve. It's pretty steep in POC world right now. I mean, most of the industry is, is there, they're taking their time because in a lot of cases, their applications, the legacy apps that they would wanna run just are not really, they don't lend themselves well to being run in that way. They don't lend themselves well to containers. They don't run themselves well to having things scale up and down very elastically. You know, they have to go back to their app teams and sort of do, 
some foundational work to be able to get there. But, you know, in terms of operations or infrastructure teams looking at Kubernetes as their next bet, yeah. I mean, I don't know of a single company that hasn't looked at it with some seriousness. Where are they choosing to deploy Kubernetes? Is it on bare metal, cloud, public cloud, private cloud? That's where it gets interesting. Um, there's a, there's a, there are a number who have decided that they want to run this in their private data center. Uh, so they've taken the uh, the fully owned, you know, sort of uh, private cloud approach. Um, I'm seeing those numbers tail off pretty sharp in the last year. Uh, there's a there's a growing number that are exploring exploring uh, Google Container Engine uh, very seriously. Uh, once they got exposure to it and realized how frankly simple it is to use. Um, that's uh, gaining increasing share. And then the other large one is uh, implementations on AWS. Uh, for organizations that already have an investment in AWS, leaning on some of the newer deployment tools and the latest releases uh, to be able to get the clusters up and running uh, on Amazon is also becoming a, a really good option. And there's also rumors coming out of Amazon that they're going to have a, a native solution soon. So I think that will be a huge tipping point if Amazon starts to offer Kubernetes as a push-button service similar to Container Engine. You'll see uh, a pretty a pretty steep increase in usage across the industry. Nick, I'd be I'd be curious to hear from you. I mean, you you work at Dell EMC. Uh, I imagine that you've probably got uh, no shortage of people that are are running virtualization, either VMware or bare metal workloads. What are you seeing as far as containers are concerned, and, and maybe any other trends? Well, among your customers, so. In the Dell Technologies family, if you are aware of all the brands now that are under Dell Technologies, it's VMware, Pivotal, EMC, RSA, VirtuStream, to name a few. And then we also have what used to be VCE, which is now CPSD, the Converged Platform Systems Division. Um, with CPSD, uh, you know, there's an entire portfolio for not only converged infrastructure, which is, you know, your traditional sand fabric for storage attached to compute and network, but um, with the hyper-converged solutions, we get a lot more flexibility to scale out, um, but also with our partnership with Pivotal, and this is where I sit. So I sit in my role as a cloud platform specialist in between uh, EM, Dell EMC, CPSD, VMware, and Pivotal. And now, if you were if we're talking about Kubernetes specifically, um, I think that if you all have probably heard about PKS, Pivotal Container Services, which allows for Pivotal Cloud Foundry to um, enable uh, supported uh, distribution installation of Kubernetes as its container runtime and resource scheduler inside Pivotal Cloud Foundry. Um, pre prior to that, Pivotal had their own uh, resource scheduler, uh, Garden. I believe is what it was called. Um, I know it went from Warden to Garden, uh, but now uh, customers will also be uh, offered the option and opportunity to uh, let Bosch control Kubernetes too and have it be a, a you know pre-validated install of Kubernetes because a lot of customers obviously are trying to figure out how to install Kubernetes themselves by uh, looking at reference architectures and build guides for installing it. Well, now I'll just hand over that to let Bosch install it and then you can start con consuming it as your container runtime and resource scheduler instead, which is, you know, Kubernetes is probably the most proven uh, to date in that area of focus. So I know and that was a long-winded answer, but like, yeah, that's, no, I, that's great. Had to explain, explain a little bit more there based on adoption. What are the business drivers that are driving the adoption that you're seeing? 
think microservices, isolating your processes down to you know single-threaded processes inside a container, resiliency, being able to build resiliency into your app right into the source code, um, and especially adoption of cloud. We got multi-availability zones, so maybe you got one container processes running in one availability zone, but if you were running some sort of circuit breaker or heartbeat on that, that process goes down, then to be able to redirect to a standby container process in another availability zone helps with the resiliency. Um, you know, abstraction, there's, there's tons of reasons why. I mean, now that you're able to get more granular and um, truly get into micro segmentation, like we haven't been able to before with, you know, monolithic architectures and traditional designs. Are, are you finding that a lot of these uh, container adopters are still struggling with, I'll say, cultural and process <laughs> related issues? I mean, I think... Uh, I think some of you are in the business of helping customers with that. <laughs> yeah, I think we all are. We, we all do some kind of pre-sales or, you know, consulting, right? Um, a lot of the, the problems can be stemmed to foundational issues like source code, you know, repositories or versioning, just very simple things like deployment, um, you know, patterns, right? Understanding just the foundations and then going to understand something like PCF or Vera, or you know whatever container solutions. There's the the fundamental problem is is the foundations, right? And so usually you can pare down. Okay, where what's the area of focus? What team needs the help and be able to devise a plan to make make sure you mature them, you know, the right way based on the product that they want to use. I'm imagining you're hearing some resistance uh, because I hear it. Uh, what what are some of the reasons that people are are giving uh, you as they resist? Uh, embracing either cloud or you know DevOps models or containers. Like, what are the what are the major complaints that you have to overcome? Uh, sure. I mean, the first one is we don't have the time. That's probably mm -hmm. the most prevalent. Is uh, yeah, that all sounds great, fantastic. You know, aces to you. Uh, good luck with that. Yeah, we just we don't have the time. We have uh, we have releases. We have to get out the door, and you know, we just we can't really schedule a lot. You know, any resources to help you with that. Never mind the fact that those are the, the teams that need the help the most, <laughs> right? Because if you're the bottleneck, right, which is what they're tacitly telling you, then those are the areas that we need to be paying the most attention to. Uh, you know, getting back to the cultural thing, I'll, I'll come back to the objection thing in a second. But, you know, one thing that I, I keep trying to hit home with everyone is, okay, so you want to do cloud. That's great. Okay. Cloud is not just a technology. It's also an operating model. Yes. And if you embrace the technology and you don't embrace the change in the operating model, it's not going to work for you. And that change in operating model has a direct impact on your culture, the processes, the people, the skill sets, the way that they communicate, you know, all, all of that stuff. Um, and when you start pushing people, you know, especially when you get into, let's say, automation efforts, right? So one strategy might be, all right, let's take all the repetitive things and automate them so that we can free up the time for some of those teams that are bottlenecked. Well, guess who resists automating their tasks? The people who are bottlenecked, right? Um, and it's often because the people who are just there to, you know, maintain a specific process and they're not really involved in sort of a transformational effort or they're not really invested in it, it's their tasks that automation is going to come for first in many cases, right? And so you have to be sensitive to that and help them along and say, look, it's not that you're about to automate yourself out of a job. It's that your job description is just going to change slightly. The things that you do day to day that you probably actually don't really enjoy doing, if you're honest with yourself, you know, let's figure out how to get you doing something that's that's more value add. And more fun. And that's, 
yeah, and more fun and more engaging. And, you know, that's where, you know, training and, you know, this is where DevOps transformation or a change in operating model gets tricky. <laughs> it gets really tricky and it's not short term. Uh, the, the single biggest mistake that I see organizations make when they enter into one of these transformations or, or, or a change in operating model is they think that they can do it in a year <laughs> or a few months. And it's like, okay, we need to, we need to sit down and have a heart to heart. So what I say there too, is that like, I really think that these companies that want to start to transform their operating model also need to, def they need to define their outcomes, like have a target to shoot for and shoot at. And then, uh, get, then time box it, say, okay, six months, we're going to try to, you know, we're, uh, in increase efficiencies around these different objectives. And then once you get to that six months, uh, reflect and do a retro and be like, okay, now how did we capture those metrics? Okay, great. Now let's give it another six months and see if we can increase those metrics. So I, I really think it's about defining your outcomes, shooting for your outcomes, and then me monitoring, measuring, and metering your progress along the way so that you have tangible numbers that you can always improve on. And then Furthermore, I think maybe as you build these cross-functional teams that are aligned to these business objectives and business outcomes, because I don't think that these should be IT necessarily outcomes. I think that these outcomes that you're trying to define should have a direct alignment to a business outcome. And then from there, um, you will be able to show those quick wins. And then that culture will start to spread, I think, as those small cross-functional teams are hitting on those outcomes. And then you can, you know, there's a lot more efficiencies that you can find from there. I, you know, I there's don't, many ways to, to approach it, I think, but incentives is another way too to potentially motivate somebody. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know if y'all are seeing this. I, I definitely feel this way, at least for myself, but I'm finding that it's getting really difficult just to keep up with the pace of technology. Like as far as skill sets go, you know, Valerie over here has got me inspired to start learning more about blockchain technologies and all the thousands of use cases that apply there. Um, managing files, managing across, you know, multiple environments. Like, what are you, how are you staying up to date with, with everything that's happening? Obviously, you run some meetup groups, but, you know, what are the, some of the topics that you were talking about at DevOps days that were potentially a little more forward-looking? Mm. That's a lot in that question. That was like three questions. I'm yeah, sorry. I mean, in, in terms of keeping up with technology, I. I sort of live on and off of a plane. So I have some built-in study time uh, in my life. Uh, so I try and use my, uh, my disconnect time on a plane uh, to do reading and try and catch up. Uh, it's nowhere near enough, uh, but it's, uh, it's the time that I've got. In terms of uh, forward-looking talks at DevOps Days, I'm trying to think, uh, there were a few of them that were, that were pretty forward-looking. I, I just, last week is such a blur. Um, well, so I can say the the talks that we had were that were the most beneficial were about the enterprise journey. It wasn't about here's how I use this tool or why code reviews are awesome. It's it's seeing another company go through what you were trying to do and learning from them, right? Understanding the big picture as you know business driver. Why is it cost? Is it speed to market? Is it scalability? And understanding that and mapping it that back to real results, I think was probably the most beneficial. And one of the hardest things to do, right? Because you you can have, you know, an engineer here or there talk about their little bubble. But if you talk about, you know, the team as a whole and where they came from and, and how they achieved it, I think that's probably the biggest impact that our attendees took away from the conference. 
That, that's amazing. So who was the kind of person that spoke at that type of talk? Was it a CTO or was it uh, given by the people that were actually doing it? Um, I think that we had two. We had two talks like that, I believe, and they were both practitioners, so they weren't CIO level. It was actually, you know, architect or director level, I believe, is, are the folks that, that, that gave that talk. Well, in addition to that, uh, on at the beginning of the second day, we had a panel discussion with uh, a, a number of people from the Nashville community. Um, uh, the first is John Wark. He's the head of the uh, Nashville Software School. Uh, the Nashville Software School is a pretty unique organization in that they are uh, a hub for training uh, of the development community in Nashville, and they're also hooked in with a number of the different organizations, so they have a very good ability to place new or junior level, de level developers into organizations throughout the Nashville community. So in terms of an organization's journey and the skill set changes that are being required as organizations you know, sort of slowly transition their operating model, John has a very unique perspective about you know, what's being requested, what's being demanded of the graduates that are coming out of the software school. Yeah, because uh, he's a nonprofit I'm, organization in which these businesses are investing in his school so that they have first access to these devs after they're graduating their six-month curriculum from the school. Yeah, another participant. So he's able to collaborate with them out the gate to figure out what types of curriculums are needed by the businesses in town that need the talent. Another participant on the panel was uh, Trisha Kitchens. Uh, she's uh, with the uh, state of Tennessee. I believe I, I'm not exactly sure of her exact title, but I believe it's CIO of the comptroller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So CIO, uh, CIO of the comptroller's office. So she's been uh, being able to do, uh, you know, very progressive uh, DevOps-focused work within state government, which is actually pretty surprising if you think about it. Um, you know, doesn't happen often. And so she had a very specific point of view on you know, that, that journey and that transition. And then we had a couple other guys uh, that were mainly from the startup world. Uh, one was Brian Hooper uh, with uh, Edo uh, Interactive. Uh, he's been around the startup communities in Nashville. He's been involved with a number of different startups. And uh, one of the questions I asked him is, is DevOps adoption in a startup fundamentally different than in a large enterprise? And the answer mm. was, no, not really. It's still motivating people. And that's what it comes down to. Um, and then another one is uh, Rob Marlowe. Uh, he is uh, a director with 24-7 uh, Sports, which is a division of CBS Interactive. Uh, and that was, that was our panel discussion. So having those, that variety of perspective, you know, talking about each of their journeys where they stay, what were the challenges they experienced, I think it opens the people's eyes to realistically what it looks like if you want to pursue this path. You know, what is it, you know, go into it with both eyes wide open. Here's what you're likely going to experience, both on the positive and in the challenges category, you know, the, the resistance or the, uh, the friction that you mentioned. Well, what's the other option? If, if, let's say that, uh, you know, a company is just, you know, battling and resistant and, you know, making excuses. They don't have the time. They don't have the, you know, how long before these companies are out of business? Okay, so can, I got a couple of takes here. For one, um, I started the Nash DevOps community almost three years ago. It's a monthly meetup. Um, I read the Lean Startup, and that kind of motivated me to use that as a script. To, um, use that as a script to run the Nash DevOps meetup like a business. You know, it's an opportunity for me to practice my uh, some of the things that I learned out of that book. But a couple of reasons why I started that was because I'm looking at like transformation and disruption in so many different lights and perspectives too, in which one of them, um, I saw that 
there's when I started this role at Dell EMC four years ago, I started interfacing with different customers at different maturity levels of their journey. One was really good at automating a lot of their middleware configuration and integration using tools like Chef and Puppet, but they sucked at you know automating their infrastructure provisioning and having a hundred percent software defined data center. So then I would like have them meet each other for dinner, and so they can say I started matching up strengths and weaknesses, and then. I was like, well, I could start a meetup for this because Nashville could use this collaboration anyways, based on everyone that can learn from each other based on strengths and weaknesses. Now, also when starting a meetup group like that too, obviously you got top talent coming to it that want to learn and want to collaborate with each other. But also there's a lot of uh, recruiting agencies that come at you too, that want to attend these meetup groups so that they can start networking and finding the top talent and maybe soliciting them for jobs. Um, now from that, um, there's a couple of people here in town that are leading these uh, recruiting firms and he would call me up and be like, company X over here is losing people because they are doing stuff traditionally don't want to change. Company X over here is wanting new top, not top talent and can't find it because they're starving for it because they want to be innovative. And then so also when I think about like disruption in general too, um, you know, if you don't embrace these new ways of doing things, then not only the company that you're working for will be disruptive, be disrupted because uh, it's no longer about the big that conquer the small. It's about the fast that beat the slow and to be agile enough to respond quick to change. You need to transform your own personal skills so that you can also embrace the new changes that are out there. So even if it's like finding things in your individual work contributions that are like automating some repetitive, tedious manual tasks, do it and then show the value back to the business. You just did that because now I just freed up more time for you to use me in some of more of your innovative cat like areas of focus that you may have within your business because you learn stuff all along the way while doing that kind of thing. You know, it's interesting you say that. I mean, I, I have a, a, a couple friends recently within the, like the last couple of months um, who are, they're, they're older than I am. Um, one is, probably almost 50 and the other one is probably 55 ish and they're they're struggling they're feeling like they're they have been targets of ageism in some way shape or form yeah and and you know i feel for them because i i know how fast technology is changing it seems like you know, folks who stay in a company in a, for a very long time you know they they learn a particular skill set and a way to uh to use their uh, their talents and hone their skills, particularly for that company. Are you finding people who are also feeling subjected to ageism? And if so, what would you say to those folks? Okay, uh, let me take first stab at this, if you don't mind, Joel and Alicia, real quick, because this is interesting, because uh, this weekend, for, as a matter of fact, uh, I was sharing my wife what the Nashville Software School is, um, and John Wark, and when we talked to him about joining our panel, we we're talking about, you know, diversity, and it's not only, it's also age is a part of diversity, too, because it's a different perspective, too, based on, you know, wisdom and knowledge that you've accumulated over time. Well, uh, he's also getting a lot of students that are coming into the school that want to transform their skill sets and maybe learn to code. Um, I also, at the same time, saw an article about the judge that is uh, going to um, judge the case, I guess, on some lawsuit between Google and Oracle. The judge taught himself to code just so he can understand the case better. 
Now my wife is also a stay-at-home mom as well. We got a four-year-old and two-year-old, and now they're getting a little bit old enough where now she's getting some of her free time back. So she was like, I would love to learn a little bit more about your world. And my wife doesn't know anything about technology. I was like, why don't you just enroll in the Nashville Software School and go through one of their six-month cohorts just to learn, you know, just to see. Because, I mean, if we're talking about what cloud is, it's, it's, it's an operating model that's software-defined, <laughs> Right. So, I mean, I think that software is powerful and it's, it's making a difference in our daily lives too. Um, you know, when you think about all these companies that are gaining market share, it's based on the way that they're differentiating themselves in the world from the software that they're giving us to make it more convenient to us to interface with their business. Um, like Circuit City Best Buy, for example. Circuit City is extinct now because they didn't create the rewards program that Best Buy did. But Best Buy just streamlined my, my shopping process as a consumer because, hey, thanks for joining our rewards program and thank you for spending that $100 on a camera. Here's $5 back, but also here's some accessories that we would like to suggest to you that you could buy too along the way. So, you know, like I think that if anyone wants to start like embracing new skills or wanting to get involved in tech but in any way, I think there's two industries in which ain't going away anytime soon. It's healthcare and technology. And I think the one way to learn technology is maybe just, just start learning how to code in a particular language, just to feel it out. What, what about the sysadmin crowd? Or you, you have some thoughts you want to share on that, Joel? Code too. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I was going to say, you know, if from somebody who's been doing it a long time and is feeling, um, you know, that, that ageism that you were talking about, um, I, I think there's there's two dimensions to it. it, it uh, going back to what Alicia said before, it, you know, it, it all comes back down to fundamentals in some way, to a great degree. You know, there's if you spent most of your career sort of focused on specific implementations of technologies, you know, specific ground level engineering work, that is that is going to be difficult, right? Because if if your you know expertise and your value in the workplace is tied to a specific tool. Or a specific set of tools, then yeah, that is a train that you can't ever get off. Right? You have to keep moving forward with those technologies, uh, and that is going to be very hard. Um, the other aspect of that is if you've been doing it for a long time and you have a really good foundational understanding and you understand architectural patterns, you understand the underpinnings of not just how something's implemented, but why it was implemented to begin with. You know what actually makes things tick under the hood. Um, you quickly get to the realization that there's kind of nothing new under the sun and that we've been reinventing the same problems over and over again for the past 30 years. Uh, you know, we've been solving them in new and interesting in different ways. But if you have that perspective, then it does help you shortcut some of the, uh, the ground level tech, uh, technical realities and put your position yourself in a, in a, in a way to affect the decision-making of an organization with somebody who's been in the game for longer, knows how the games are played, know where all the resistance comes from. Um, that's a valuable voice to have. You don't want somebody who's straight out of school helping you make those decisions. You want the guy who's seen, you know, how things go terribly wrong. You also want somebody who's seen how it's done really, really well. So that, that would be my two cents there. You have any thoughts on that, Alicia? Um, you know, I, I, it goes back to what Joel says is the fundamentals. So, you know, I talked to somebody today who implemented, um, what was it? One of the, you know, Jen Jenkins, like similar tools, right? It wasn't about the fact that he didn't know Jenkins. He understood why 
how it was architected and you know how to how to improve it right if you can understand those fundamentals you know you're never going to understand everything from tech right things change so fast so if you can understand fundamentals and then have a short time to you know tool up you know with a specific tool i think you'll be fine right um you know that's what i look for when i hire folks right it's not can you tell me ins and outs of you know Git or Bitbucket, right? That doesn't matter. It's you understand how it's used and why it's used and some of the best practices and fundamentals around operating it, then that's probably all you need, right? And I think, you know, going back to what Joel said about everything's old is new again, right? A lot of the foundation stuff was built manually. You know more about that than somebody that's deploying something autom automated, right? So I think, you know, it's, it's good. You know, I, I always look at technical ability and how it matches somebody's career. Right. And if that matches what the position I have, right, it, age and, you know, race and all that doesn't matter. It's 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 the it's the content. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I mean, at some point I am going to be the cranky old guy in the corner saying, let me tell you about IPv4. You know, <laughs> that, that that day is coming. Right. Get off my lawn. Exactly. <laughs> Turn into that uh, Clint Eastwood movie. But the you know, the, the advantage that I will have is that I will be able to formulate the correct question to ask sooner. Ah. Right, because I have the weight of context, right? It's a lot of time, it's just having the intuition and the experience to know which question to ask first, right? And which thing to go after, because at a certain point, you guys all have the spidey sense of like, if you're looking at uh, at uh, an architecture or an engineering diagram, you sort of like your spidey senses will zero you in on the thing that it's like, ooh, yeah, I should ask more questions about this. Tell me more here, what's going on? Right. And that's something you only get through experience and there's no replacement for that. Right. There's no shortcut to getting there. In, in Nashville in particular, it, it sounds like, you know, there's a, a shortage of tech talent, which is not surprising. You know, what are what are companies doing to to keep employees motivated and, and keep them loyal? You know, I, I I can't tell you how many customers I've had that have, you know, consumed and built, you know, a private cloud only to see it launch and immediately they're hired away and then the project falls apart because nobody really had a sense of, of how to, to care and nurture and feed it. Maybe they didn't have the right, you know, skills mix with a, with a now departure leader. What are, what are some examples of, of companies that are, that are doing things right to, to keep their people engaged and happy? I think you're seeing a lot of organizations, um, you know, there's a lot of large uh, healthcare uh, organizations here, um, you know, a lot of uh, financial, you know, insurance is big and always has been. I think you're seeing some of the old guard slowly understanding that, hey, people actually are more productive if we let them work from home a bit. <laughs> you know, some of the old sort of artificial constraints around, uh, you know, an individual's workday. Or what you wear, and, or the what, or what you wear, or things like that. I think they're start. That's slowly starting to change, or at least it feels that way. You know, uh, companies that wouldn't have entertained a work from home policy five years ago are now suddenly thinking, "Oh, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense." And so it's 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 taking some time for the paradigm shift to actually happen here. But you know, culturally things are starting to shift, and I think people, uh, it primarily, or at least people that you know are really, really good at what they do, are, are not as much attracted to a paycheck. That's part of it. But they're attracted to the culture. They're attracted to wanting to work in an environment that they like with people that they like. 
an awful lot of your working life away from your family, the people that you really like, uh, and you might as well enjoy it. And I think employers are really figuring out that, you know, extra, you know, little perks here, or the little tchotchkes in the coffee room and all that, that's all great, but that isn't going to retain employees. You Here's know. some suggestions that I've made too. And I'm sorry. I, so I thought, no, go for it. Up. Okay. Um, so, so before I got hired by EMC four years ago, I have worked for those large corporations in Nashville. One of them that I worked at thousand, we started adopting VMware and virtualization and started P to Ving all of our systems down. But then what came with that was the ability to create true virtualized environments for promotional paths of your production systems, right? So staging, dev, staging, test, UAT, what we know today. But what I've noticed when I was architecting out those environments and interfacing with those other teams was that our cubicle arrangement was based on org chart. Mm. And so I'm sitting there as an enterprise architect with my peers. And sometimes when you're sitting with your peers, you don't get into some of those like interesting conversations because you feel like they all have the same skill set as you. So you're not going to like challenge each other, so to speak necessarily, or maybe you will. But what happened with me then is I got sick and tired of walking down the other side of the building and taking the elevator two floors down to be interfacing with the software development team or the business intelligence team in which I'm architecting out these environments. So I said, Hey, director of infrastructure or operations, can I move my cube over there? Because I'm interfacing now more with them than I am with anyone. And now whenever I walk into customers today in my day job now today with Dell EMC is, uh, you know, when we start talking transformation and we're going to a boardroom or a conference room, I'm, I'm scanning the cubicle farmland. And that's one of the first questions I ask, how, how are your cubicles arranged? Is it based on org chart? Because now when we're talking about having cross-functional teams, maybe you should have a DBA sitting next to a network guy, sitting next to a compute guy, sitting next to the middleware guy, and just see what comes out of that little pocket of talent. Yeah. 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 Project that Alicia and I worked on uh, not that long ago together. Um, that was actually one of the first recommendations we made is we had a, a sort of a small core team that was going to begin. It was the seed team for the transformation at this, uh, at this organization. And we said, okay, we found a, a, a place where they could all work. And it's like, okay, here's the dojo. You can call it whatever you want. You can call it you know, yeah. safe space, right? This is <laughs> where we're all going to co-locate. This is where we're going to hang out and we're all going to do our things together. And we're going to sort of live this experience together in this space. And for that team, that was a really wild concept. But after the first, I'd say it took three or four days. Alicia can keep me, you know, honest here. But I think after the first three or four days, they were like, this is great. This is so much easier. You know, they were they were used to firing instant messages at, the, at each other, you know, all up all throughout the building. And a, they could just turn to each other and have a face to face conversation. And all of the what was really interesting is all of the friction that existed historically between some of those teams within the core group of that team. Three days was gone and they were working as a unit. It, it, that totally makes sense. I mean, I think people are way more apt to, you know, leave an offensive post or comment on something with people who are anonymous versus if it's somebody that you have to interface with all the time and you get to know, you probably find that you actually have a lot more in common than you thought you did. What, what they, question. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I, what I was going to say, what they found out almost to the person was, you know, they all thought that they had the unique problem, like that th things were being pushed on them. Mm. And when they started talking, what they found out is 
everybody's pushing stuff to everybody. So <laughs> everybody had the exact same problem. Everybody felt constrained. And when That's they understood that it wasn't singular to them, that they weren't having their requests ignored because of some specific reason, that this was a pervasive problem across all the groups, suddenly the dynamic started to change and people were going out to dinner after hours mm -hmm. and talking in ways that they hadn't before. So it's pretty powerful just getting everybody in the same space. I think your original question too was based on the concept of retention, employee retention, right? Now if you, if you make your job exciting and the people that you're now working with more exciting maybe the business can take notice of that too because the business is benefiting from that um, maybe the business can start incentivizing those smaller teams with some sort of MBO goal or something like that for hitting on their objectives or making some of those defined outcomes more efficient on their processes <laughs> people processes right aspect of it I, I feel like there should be some like training that says hey you know you're Here's what the baby boomer generation grew up with. Here's what the Gen Xers grew up with. Here's what the millennials grew up with. Uh, you know, <laughs> how do we build some bridges between these generations? I mean, the, you know, I hear it all the time. You know, oh, these millennials are coming in and they're, you know, they're they're entitled and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I hear it from every direction. And I just, you know, there's a part of me that just wants to say, you know, so what? <laughs> you know, you gotta work together. But I, I, I don't think it comes natural. Like worldviews are pretty hard to break. And habits, old habits are hard to break. Well, I think you know, it comes down if you look into, into yourself, right? Why, why is everybody you know, mad at other people, right? Nobody's a special snowflake. Everybody's the same. We have the same problems, whether you know, me in my 30s or somebody in their 50s doing work, right? So if we understand the fundamentals of how our problems are similar, we can work together to solve those problems. That is a, a statement that should apply more broadly. I, I agree with you. Uh, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's an interesting time that we're living in. I think there's, there's automation. I'm definitely starting to see, you know, companies that are are struggling to compete i'm starting to see you know people whose whose skills are maybe not um as modern as they should be um impacted by things like layoffs like it's it's got to be tough i think there's definitely some people that are feeling the effects of automation and it's kind of interesting to think about well if this is where we're at now like what is it going to look like five years from now or 10 years from now? Like, what are we gonna, are we, is there gonna be enough work for all of us to, to be employed full time? You know, uh, I think it's a, it's an interesting future for sure. Definitely. Well, I think we are about out of time, but before we close, I just wanted to, uh, to give y'all an opportunity to share any events that might be coming up or your, I think we put your chiddled hand, your, Twitter handles uh, in the YouTube invite, but uh, for folks that might be listening and not watching, uh, let us know where you're going to be and where people can find you. Okay. Well, okay, so I'll go first. So um, at Nicholas, N I C K A L A U S is how you spell my first name. At Nicholas W is uh, my Twitter handle. Uh, you can find me serving our local DevOps community on a monthly basis, uh, Nash DevOps. You can Google search it. We're doing a hackathon to build out our websites by the community, for the community. Um, that's gonna be on November 9th and 10th at Data Blues offices, which is a half day Thursday, going in the evening hours on Thursday and Friday. Um, 
Also on November 3rd, we're having, I think, VP level at Chef, but may, many may know this guy's name, Nathan Harvey, come and speak to our community um, in Nashville at, for the Nash DevOps meetup in, on November 3rd. Uh, we're planning our December meetup, and I think it's going to be something around the topic of PKS, like we were talking about earlier, Pivotal Container Services. Um, so as far as the events go, that's all I can think of for now in Nashville, but thank you very much for asking me to join your podcast today. I really enjoyed our time. I would enjoy one of those hats. Just saying. <laughs> I bought it at the airport. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Joel, you're up. Uh, sure. So I, you can find me at the Nashville Kubernetes meetup or uh, Nash DevOps uh, meetup. I try and be at both of those, especially since I, you know, co co run one of them. Uh, also, I'll be participating in the uh, New York City DevOps meetup. Uh, it was run by a friend of mine. Uh, so I, I should be there for the, I believe, the next two meetings. Uh, also, I'd encourage you to uh, check out the uh, schedule of events at uh, Contino.io. Uh, the uh, the folks at uh, at Contino are pretty active uh, in the Northeast and and even more so uh, now in the Southeast. So uh, come on out, say hi. If you see it as a conference, you know, there's a good chance I'll be there. So come shake my hand. And one of these days, I'll get you to create a uh, an intro song for us. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun with your with your husband involved, hopefully. Oh yeah. Yeah. No shortage of instruments around here. Yeah. <laughs> Alicia, you're up. Um, so you can find me on Twitter. Sapanic Davis is my handle. I don't not really active. I do it when I'm traveling, mainly because I'm bored. Um <laughs> uh, I'll I'll be hanging out with Joel. We're trying to wrap up uh scheduling out our meetups for the rest of the year for Nashville Kubernetes. So look look forward to that. Um, and then I'm going to be doing a lot of customer events with uh, folks at Round Tower Technologies. So you may see me out in one of your meetings. Um, say hi. I'm usually the quiet person in the back of the room. Um, but for some reason, they throw me out in front of everybody. So I uh, hope, to, hope to run into you in the wild. Awesome. Well, thank you all so, so very much. I know all three of you are very busy, so I definitely appreciate you coming to spend your time and your wisdom and your knowledge. And uh, we look forward to staying in touch. Yeah, Everybody thank say, so Thanks so much for having us. Everyone say bye. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. <laughs> thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cloud Unfiltered. If you liked what you heard, we encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on iTunes. And please join us next week for another discussion about the people, technologies, and strategies that are driving the phenomenon known as cloud. Unfiltered, of course.